the theme for the evening talk is resting in the non-dual. Any kind of genuine and sincere exploration must keep bringing to consciousness <coughs> what you and I, what the technical language is called duality, two, between the two, moving between the two. I referred a moment or two ago in speaking about Saranath, the very first talk of the Buddha <coughs> was a real encouragement for you and I as women and men on the earth to look how we get caught in two extremes. One of them is self-rejection, the putting of ourselves down, self-blame, self-hate undermining of ourselves, the negativity towards ourselves, <coughs> and getting caught in that and believing in that. And the other extreme, and the other duality, is the constant need to affirm ourselves, to keep building ourselves up, to keep building up the ego <coughs> through pursuit, pleasure, status, position, etc. And sometimes it seems our life is just swinging backwards and forwards between these two extremes. Putting ourselves down, not feeling good enough, giving ourselves a hard time for all the ways that we can do that. And if we're not doing that, we're trying to get away from it by building ourselves up. And we go up and down, up and down, like a yo-yo we go up and down. And the teachings are teachings which endeavour to find some um, middle way here between the pursuit of <laughs> and the rejection of. And this belief, this entrapment that human beings find, uh, we find ourselves in means it's a constant tussle between pleasure and pain, the duality, <coughs> pleasure and pain. And in the body of the dualities, the Buddha speaks of, and well worth meditating on and contemplating on, what he refers to as eight worldly conditions. When we're just caught in secular culture, worldly culture, <coughs> haven't gone very deep, two of those conditions, just mentioned, caught up in pleasure and pain. And then the view of our life is, I want more pleasure and I want less pain. And sometimes things which you have, uh, and I have given us pleasure stop giving us pleasure and become incredibly painful. And we swing back and forwards between the two. It's sometimes called marriage. <laughs> Starts off in heaven and for some ends up in hell. But it can be anything, anything which has given us pleasure has the potential to give us pain. One can race out tomorrow and just be thinking of Barfi 
bit of jamans, <laughs> and eat in its pleasure. But how long? How many can one eat <laughs> before the pleasure comes around and one is vomiting <laughs> at both ends? So we get in the loop. We say, I make a choice. I make a choice to have this or taste this or whatever it might be. And we think it's an independent choice. And the very thing which we chose, we can't see. We haven't got the vision nor the wisdom to see, well, this is how it is now, but it might change in the future. And sometimes we know, and through our experience, that the actual, initially it seems like an independent free choice, seems like, easily, and sometimes rather quickly, becomes an addiction, becomes a dreadful dependency. And that which seemed to be so good at the time, whatever it was, changes around and becomes not good or painful or addictive or obsessive. It starts off with one and it ends up somewhere else. And these extremes polarize our existence called pleasure and pain. We want to look at it. Another is success and failure. How much of our sense of our value as a human being is built up, and I use the word built up, built up on the idea of the self around success and failure. And sometimes we look, and people have said to me in retreats and in Dharma gatherings and in other kind of places and environments, because I've put all my energy into something for years. And I really worked hard at it, whatever it was. And I became really successful. I got what I wanted. I got to be known for what I did. I got status. I got money. I got home. I got the privileges of life. I got the comforts of, of life. And then sometimes, after years of putting so much effort into something, I didn't know that waiting around the corner was a kind of collapse of years of all those investments all that time and energy and a few people have said to me over the years I've wasted my life I blew it I wasted it and it can be painful whether one's 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 so it takes wisdom to look at this, these dualities another um, area of uh, duality that we get caught up in as well is praise and blame not easy and sometimes we look and we people express kind words appreciations how easy how easy the old ego feeds on it like a vampire it feeds on it <laughs> And then we start doing things. And we're not really knowing ourselves clearly. We're not really giving care to the intention behind it. And what we're doing is to get the approval of somebody else. <coughs> We've kind of elevated others into our parents. And we want their support. 
We want their recognition, we want their approval. So rather than there being an integrity which has value for the action, like I was speaking this afternoon, the giving or the sharing, whatever, we're actually caught in this wanting of praise, of affirmation. And it's incredibly addictive. And then when we have an identification with that, we're not much good at handling blame. Not much good at handling fault-finding. Not much good at handling negativity or criticism or misunderstanding. <coughs> give a little incident, just uh, for, my, for myself here. Okay, to talk about because it's several, uh, quite some years ago, but it took place here. One of the people on the uh, retreat was in a uh, young woman, maybe in her early 20s, was in quite some degree of distress and asked to, uh, as others of you, men and women here, have done here. And the nature of the situation was, and rather understandably, that she didn't want to speak to me just on the foot of the stairs where I usually uh, have been speaking the last few years. <coughs> so I suggested to her that she speak in, uh, in my room. And she asked if she could come after the tea every evening. And I said, for this, you, absolutely. And I'll tell you what it's about in a minute. And rather unfortunately, unfortunately for me, certainly, that one of the people on the retreat was having a hard time and, and the difficulty, it was a difficult situation taking place and the abbot and one of the nuns had to step in, etc., etc. I had to speak to the person, etc., etc. And they were very angry with me, blah, 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 blah. And the person could see with her eyes, this person was coming up the stairs each evening, and drew a conclusion. Drew a conclusion. This conclusion went into a letter to dear old beloved guy house. Why was the woman coming to see? Which I was asked not to say to, uh, to uh, the teachers at the time. She had arrived in Varanasi and as a number of people do take, go down at dawn to the Ghats and there the boatmen are there. This was just before the retreat. And she climbed into a boat with two guys who rowed across to the other shore and raped her. Took all her clothing, the possessions she had with her, and left her there naked. And it's hard to imagine the, the trauma of such a situation. And in meeting and talking with this uh, person, I just felt enormous acknowledgement of her incredible courage to sit in this hall 
for 10 days and to go through this again and again to try to come to terms with what happened and listening and just talking and so she had the opportunity to share her experience and just just to listen it wasn't advice it was just listening yeah. and out of that out of that experience and all the, the pain and the anguish and and some self-blame that was going on with it. I shouldn't have got into the bed. I was so stupid. Rather than, look, it's n- you don't have to take any responsibility for this. The responsibility falls totally on those two men. Not on you at all. And then through the days of the uh, retreat, just gradually coming to terms with it. And the person still keeps some uh, contact. Seen this person on retreats uh, uh, elsewhere, and I just use it as a small example where sometimes we, as human beings, in our all too humanness, have experiences, and we see, but sometimes we we don't see the full, which means we'll grasp onto the extreme view. <laughs> We take the position, we grasp onto the extreme view, and we can't rest in something which is non-dual. And it's this grasping onto, called success and failure, praise and blame, pleasure and pain, (coughs) having and not having. And we live backwards and forwards, and in the living in this so-called duality, we put into it such substance, such view, such projection, that we think that's reality. That's the true reality, the duality. We're mesmerized by the appearances. And we're trying to discover what it means to break out of it. Not to live in it. Sometimes on retreat, <coughs> people come <coughs> and they say, makes 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 make, make me smile. Understandable conclusion. Oh, these uh, this dharma, these uh, teachings, these practices, really, they're just about being in the moment. That's what it's all about. After I finished vomiting, (laughs) (coughs) so sometimes we draw the idea. It's just about being in the moment. I don't know if you've ever given any reflection or any thought what it would like to be always in the moment. It's a horrifying thought. (laughs) (laughs) Because if uh, if there was this I, this self, and it was always in the moment, you know, to be right 
in the moment. That's, that's right in it. It would mean one was in it forever. One would be immortal. The self would be, the I would be in the moment and one would be totally in the moment and absolutely stuck in it with the rest of you. <laughs> Not for ten days, but for eternity. I mean, the thought doesn't excite me at all. I don't know about you. Eh? <laughs> of being in the moment, and that's what it's all about, and not being out of the moment, because all the teachings are about being in the moment. And just to feel that I can't see what's liberating about it. It feels like imprisonment to me. So sometimes we have this eternal I, or immortal I, in this so-called bizarre idea of eternal now. Whoever dreamt that one up, really. And that one thinks that's what it's about. No, thank you. No, thank you. When we look at the immediacy uh, of things and look at the present, the present moment, we are just you know, sit in the hall, uh, breathing our way through this existence and sometimes breezing our way through it and sometimes blown all over the place with it. <laughs> and we say, here's our life flowing on. And we're taking generally some interest in the moment. And then we ask, what is this moment? What is it, what is it that brings all this together? <coughs> and then we find, it seems like, what is not of the moment? It feels like, it seems like, here is this moment, and what's produced it, what's allowed it to arise, is all the previous moments. I can't imagine this moment without all those previous moments. It doesn't exist by itself. All these previous moments, and bang, I'm in this one. And here I am. Wow. And I can't see when did it be begin and those scientists wasting their lives trying to find out. <laughs> back, 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 back. Can't see any where did it start, how did it start, and all the speculation that goes with it. But it seems like I'm just in this moment. And one could then draw the conclusion, my God, who I am and what this is, is not, one could draw the conclusion, it's just an effect of everything that's gone by and yeah, everything that's gone, 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 come, 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 <laughs> bump, here I am. <laughs> Whoa, how did that happen? <laughs> so I would think, gosh, I am just an effect of the past. I might think I've got one or two little choices, but maybe my one or, little, one or two little choices are also just an effect out of the past. I call it choices because I want to feel that I'm clear. <laughs> but maybe those choices are just 
pushed out of the past, maybe. Not much fun living as an effect, is it? <laughs> A totally determined life, trapped in conditions, and in back into this dreadful imprisonment of conditions, causes from the past, moving through, and the dualities, that's the cause, the past is the cause, this is the effect, and I'm stuck with it. And all my thoughts of choice is really denial. Whoa. Whoa. Then one looks in another way. One says, here is this present moment. Fantastic potential. I've been told for the last nine days I can change. I can stop being this miserable, self-pitying individual. <coughs> or whatever description does the rounds. And I can change. I have the incredible capacity to change as a human being. If I was just the effect, I can't change. I'm just trapped. But actually I know I can look, I can be aware, I can be conscious, I can look right now and I can see change. I can help implement it. I can get some insight, some realisation, some interest, some energy, some focus, some meditation, some concentration. And I can change. I can be less unhappy and more happy. Less negative and more positive. Less agitated and more peaceful. Wow, I've got this incredible potential in the human being to change. I can look at the present moment and I say, the present moment is a cause and a condition for me to change. In this moment or in the next moment, in the next moments, 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 moments. I have an incredible capacity. If I can change, wow. I could change phenomenally. <laughs> With a bit of luck. Where would, where, where would one stop in, be, in, the, in the ability to change? If I can change a little bit, just a little bit, maybe you change a little bit. Little, little. <laughs> you don't want to get ambitious. Just a little bit. If I can change a little bit, I can change a big bit. Once I say I can change, wow, I can change. Really change big time. <laughs> the reason we have been facing here this whole retreat, by the way, and not over there, is because you might set your sights too high and then get disappointed. So it's. But, but anyway. So I can change. If I can change a little, I can change big. Change big, big, big time. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> So sometimes I can look and say, I'm just an this moment is just an effect. I can look in that way. I can bring the power of looking and say, no, it's not just an effect. It's a cause. The moment is a cause for change. 
wow. So the same attention can say effect or cause. Is it? Is it? Who says? I must say, while sitting, I, must, I want to give a little commentary on Buddha image. I don't know if you've noticed like I've noticed. Talk about change. <laughs> Do you think he's changed his gender? It's kind of, it's like a Versace cloth over the good man. <laughs> I don't know if you've, any of you have been to England at all. <coughs> My commiserations. <laughs> you have these men, and this has got nothing to do with the subject, but I just want to tell you. <laughs> but it's a little bit, I'll try and weave it in. <laughs> There are these men in England who are, uh, run the judiciary, the law, the, 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 the judges. <coughs> very kind of male and, you know, union <coughs> language, the animus is very strong. And I think they have a job dealing with the fact that they're very male and judge and make decisions, uh, etc. <coughs> so unconsciously to compensate for this, <laughs> they wear long wigs <laughs> because they can't accept the fact that they're so male that they have these very long wigs to kind of very long, very beautiful <laughs> it's to bring the feminine out in them because they're desperate need and it's not, only, it's not only those I don't know if you've seen uh, pictures of the Pope <laughs> I mean, if he was invited to the Hollywood Oscars, <laughs> that long white robe there, he calls it a robe. You and I know it as a dress. <laughs> white, graceful, very feminine. It's, a, it's unconscious wish, you see, because he can't accept the fact, really, deep down, that he's um, against birth control and women priests and divorce, etc. So he has to wear the dress to <laughs> somewhere show the other side of himself, etc. Uh, et it's, it's very, 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 very common. <laughs> Like, like, I go to Jerusalem regularly, you see the rabbis. There's long curls. <laughs> oh, really? You know, I know women in Israel who would die for those curls. <laughs> when I had long hair, do you know how much time I had to spend in the mirror getting the curls going? It's, huge amount of work, etc. <coughs> you know, those... I don't want to mention Brad again, but... <laughs> <laughs> You've seen those films from the time of the Roman Empire. You must have seen them. The soldiers. 
they got these beautiful <laughs> boots, leather, <laughs> close to those muscular legs, tight fitting. <laughs> yeah. And above that, wearing short skirts. <laughs> it's a totally new version of non-duality. They can't accept that they're aggressive males. They want to bring out something soft and connected and intimate. They don't know how to do it, so they, so they become cross-dressers. <laughs> And I think deep down this is the point that um, the Buddha was making, you see. He was a prince, and look, just a little shoulder <laughs> revealed. <laughs> really? That nice, nice orange skirt <laughs> tucked in at the top very neatly. non-duality <laughs> not many people know that I was a transvestite for six years <laughs> <laughs> I lived in a facility where everybody was a cross-dresser <laughs> with the sabong uh, robe and the bare shoulder <laughs> We're in one now. Wonderful. Just to think that the, the founder of one of the world's five big religions was a cross-dresser. <laughs> it's inspiring, isn't it? All right. Enough. <laughs> Booked another place in the hell realms. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, non-duality, that's right. <laughs> okay. So sometimes the way we look, we look at things. And we say, present, just being in the moment, there's just the moment, there's nothing else. If it was, it couldn't change. If there was only the moment and absolutely nothing else, it would be absolutely frozen stiff. It would be dead as a dodo. Because it's only the moment. And one is in it, stuck in it, like a sardine in a bloody tin. <laughs> so I can't, don't believe that for a moment. And then when people call that enlightenment, God, Lord. <laughs> then I say, I can't accept it. Moments, causes, and conditions. And I experience the effect of fruit as a human being. But also, that doesn't feel right. I'm just on the receiving end of what's gone by. And that's what's just moving. It doesn't, doesn't sit right, it doesn't feel right. Then look again. And then I say, wow, so much potential for change, for opening up, for awakening, for the revolution of consciousness, whatever you want to call it. And let's see it as a cause. So my way of looking keeps showing a duality. I might call the duality past to present. I might call the duality present to future. And my world, my mind, my, my body feels, it's a strange thing, as if, as if I am just in the field of time. 
past, present and future, moment to moment, going on in this way. And then I hear from the saints and the sages and the wise about resting in non-duality. In the movements that take place, called time, called past, present, uh, future, interpretation, at the capacity as a human being to bring consciousness to look at. That can be relatively, relatively kind of clear that this I call past, this I call present, this I call future. But my mind has put in the division. I've made the separation. I've compartmentalized. But what if I don't? What if I draw no line between yesterday, today and tomorrow? No line. Make nothing of it. I wouldn't even be it wouldn't be a matter anymore of being interested in being in the moment. But I wouldn't also care about not being in the moment. Because it's not what's it about. I just recognize sometimes I feel really in the moment. And sometimes I don't. And sometimes I know where I am, and sometimes I don't. And sometimes I know where things are, and sometimes I don't. But this morning, <laughs> came downstairs to make my pilgrimage to the kitchen because we have privileges called hot chai. had my chai, and then went to get off the window ledge in the kitchen my toothbrush and toothpaste. Normal uh, ritual. With some enthusiasm now because of the dentist. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, 6,000 rupees will give you an extra brush, you know. And um, when I got there, I couldn't Fine, but what the hell is my toothbrush and my toothpaste, my tube? I'm sure, I'm sure I left it on there. And my mind went back to last night. I don't remember <coughs> taking it out, didn't have it in my pocket or whatever. And I didn't know where it was. And then, somehow, it got from the window ledge in the kitchen <laughs> into the penthouse suite up there, in there. And the thought arose in my mind, the location of the toothbrush and the toothpaste, I had put it in such a place that I had kept it a secret from myself <laughs> where I put it. How about that? I'd put it in such a secret place that I kept it as a secret from myself. <laughs> <coughs> that was my only insight on this retreat. <laughs> <coughs> it's not only that I cannot rely on what's out there, <coughs> I 
cannot rely. Here. As my daughter says, I can't believe you teach mindfulness. <laughs> Neither can I. <laughs> right. So even though there's these eccentric activities of the mind, awareness, consciousness can acknowledge it. Could the acknowledgement of it be such, so clear, that it acknowledges and embraces the pleasure and the pain, the praise and the blame, the having and the not having, the wanting and the not wanting, the health and the sickness, the life and the death? That would be extraordinary, wouldn't it? To abide in such a way that whatever life offers in its movement of the dualities, since the nature of things embraces it, truly, obviously, could the human being, with the insight and the realization, immediately, here and now, Embraced it all. And therefore there's a natural abiding in the non-dual which whatever manifests is easily embraced. This is the heart of the awakened one's teachings. And sometimes, because I have no time for, as you know, idol worship, nor these projections that go on, I think it's to cut that all away, to poke fun at it, to make fun of it all. So that we cut through to a kind of sense of something truly down to earth truly realizable that means to make real and if we understand clearly what this embrace of duality is <coughs> your problems are finished with it's that radical and that liberating and that free <coughs> Because they're bound up with the holdings, bound up with the view, bound up with the clinging to, bound up with the identification to, <coughs> bound up with the division and the separateness or trying to make separate one from the other. The pleasure from the pain, the ups from the downs, the uh, uh, evolution from the crash, the start from the finish, whatever it might be. We have this capacity, no matter what it is, with awareness and realization and understanding, to embrace it all. So that even this extraordinary so-called great line between life and death, or what you and I might say between existence and non-existence, to see clearly what's the difference. If abiding in the non-dual. 
And it's with the non-dual that there's the, the total intimacy of the meeting of everything. That's why the saints and the sages and the wise never tired of encouraging the abiding in the non-dual. Profoundly magnificent teaching. And one knows in that realization, in that discovery, in that abiding, there's a kind of um, fulfillment that can't fade away. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings embrace all movement. May all beings rest in the non-dual. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes.